The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of deep open minded conversation. I'm the one they call Shane, and in today's discussion, we break down the hidden agenda behind the music industry, but not in the typical way that most do talking about modern music culture. No, we bring it back to the jam band era and the underworking happening under the peace movement. And in the spirit of talking about music, today's guest is a musician himself, so stick around after the show if you want to hear one of his most recent songs. But before getting into all of that today, we of course have to do the front of house. Uh, Going to try to streamline it a little bit, try to make it so it's condensed a little bit more so we can hop right into the show for all you guys. But uh, as far as new news and updates go, uh, one big one is that I am now offering full podcast production services through Open Minds Media. Um, I'm officially working part-time currently, so trying to make up the difference elsewhere. Uh, Keep trying to push it so that I can just do more of this type of stuff that I really enjoy. So if you're somebody out there that might not like to enjoy editing your podcast or you're trying to start a podcast from scratch, um, you can go and check out the Open Minds Media Instagram and get a full list of all the different things that I can do. But I'm here to help you guys out as much as possible. Um, I can do stuff from helping you start a podcast from the get-go, or if you're already advanced and you have a podcast and you just want to make stuff easier for yourself, I'm your guy for it. So any questions, anything you might want, come and get a quote through Open Minds Media. Just send me a message on Instagram, or you guys can email me through the link tree. Uh, don't forget to follow Inquiries of All Reality and Open Minds Media on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, for anybody that's looking for video content, don't forget to go and check out Open Minds Media on YouTube and TikTok. And uh, if you want to join the discussion, you can always become a member of the Open Minds Media Discord. Always awesome. It helps to uh, grow and expand the show and community. And if anybody has an encounter report, you guys can report it to OMM Encounter Reports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a specific submission form for that that goes to that specific email. But I don't care how big, I don't care how small it is. I absolutely loved to hear about your guys' experiences. And if you're relatively close to me, I might even be able to get out and possibly even investigate it myself. 
And uh, if anybody hasn't already checked out Bizarre Encounters, highly recommend that you do. That's my other awesome show that I do with my co-host Oren over there. Uh, a lot of the time we dive, deep dive into different stuff. So a little bit of a different format than this show, but definitely covering somewhat of the same topics. And uh, we also do an extension of that called uh, Bizarre Inquiries, which is our short form Patreon slash once a month YouTube show. So if anybody wants to submit any questions for that, you guys can get up with me through social media and submit your questions so that we can discuss them on the show. And if you guys want to support the show, you guys can do so through the Open Minds Media Patreon. Over there, there's multiple tiers, uh, semi-recently updated, a lot of awesome benefits. There's also a seven-day free trial for the $3 tier and the $5 tier. So definitely worth going and checking out. And uh, I appreciate you guys for uh, going and trying to support and help out my work. And uh, you guys can also support the show through the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, I will be dropping a lot of new awesome merch designs over there if you guys haven't already seen them on Instagram. If they're not up by the time that I'm talking about this now, then they should be up within the next couple of weeks. So just keep your eyes peeled over there because I definitely think that you guys will really, really dig those designs. And if you guys become a Patreon member, then you guys will get exclusive merch store discounts. So highly recommend doing both, of course. And... uh of course, have to give a big shout out to all of the people that sponsor the show and slash friends in the community. I know Squatch. Don't forget to go and check them out for all of your Squatchy gear needs. And you guys can also check out Crypto Theology for all of your wearable cryptid favorites. And you guys can also go and check out Snarly Yao for his uh, fantastic beard and body products that smell of smoky cedar with a hint of mint, which is absolutely fantastic. I use the beard balm and the beard oil every single day. Absolutely love the soap. I think you guys will really enjoy it too. And uh, if you guys are looking for events to attend, Dave slash Snarly Yao puts on a lot of awesome cryptid related events. So if you guys are looking for stuff to do in the next upcoming months, he's always throwing events. So you guys can go and follow him on Instagram to be able to keep up on all the fantastic stuff that he's doing. And uh, to all my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It is the all-in-one paranormal investigating device. A lot of new updates have come to that recently, uh, expanding into an app, all that really cool stuff. So if you guys have any questions about that whatsoever, you guys want to pick up a device yourself, you guys can always go and hit up Barry over there on Dimension Devices. He is the guy that programmed and developed it, so he'll be able to answer any of your guys' technical questions. And if you guys decided that you want to pick one up for yourself, don't forget to use the affiliate link. Uh, that's down in the show description greatly goes towards helping the show. And I appreciate you guys for using that. And uh, with all of that, everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show. Jeff Warnock from Empathize Studio. How is it going today, man? Oh, real good, dude. Stoked to be on here with you. How's it going on your end? Not too bad, man. I uh, heard yours and Charlie's conversation a while back. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, I figured that I had to have you come on the show, have a conversation with you. And uh, absolutely, like I said, it was an absolutely fantastic conversation, which is what we'll end up diving into a little bit today, which was part of why I wanted to pull you on the show. But, uh, you know, I always like to start off with a little bit of who people are, what they do, what got them into everything that they do. So uh, I guess to give the listeners a little bit of a background, why don't you let them know a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do and a little bit about your work. Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, I'm Jeff. I, I run a multimedia production company in the Denver area called Empathize Studio. Uh, we mostly do video production these days, but um, photo design, um, audio stuff, it's, it's you know kind of all in the realm of a day-to-day -day for me. Uh, it actually started 
uh, back in the day from um, basically a music recording studio. That's uh, how the business started. And uh, I, you know, music's my lifeblood, man. I, I, I live and breathe it, um, playing it, enjoying it live, uh, studying it. It's just, um, it just everything about it. It's so fascinating to me, and uh, excited to dive into some of the more scholarly pursuit side of it here in this conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess just to get everything rolling a little bit before we get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, uh, just out of curiosity, what type of like music do you primarily focus on? Uh, what instruments do you play? Because uh, I'm assuming you probably play a handful of instruments. And uh, I always like to kind of give the give artists and musicians a little bit of a chance to kind of promote their own music too. Yeah, definitely. Um, my main focus is uh, empathize. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever wherever you find your music, it'll be there. Um, it's sort of on the down-tempo side of the electronic spectrum, very instrumentally driven, kind of groovy, vibey, that sort of thing. Um, that's the stuff I hear in my head and the stuff I really love to make. Uh, but also, guitar is kind of my first language, as I say. And um, So I, I play in some, some bands here and there, rock, funk, bluegrass, um, all sorts of stuff, and uh, definitely help a lot of my buddies with production stuff across the, the genre spectrum. So, uh, you know, there's something in every genre that I love and, and can take away from it. And, and if you give Empathize a listen, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear it. Everything from the David Gilmore-esque guitar lines, um, like the Pink Floyd influence, uh, you know, the Thievery Corporation, Bonobo, Emancipator, sort of vibey backbeats and, um, you know, ev- everything in between. There's, uh, there, there's a little something in there for everybody. So you kind of get into like the jam rock stuff a little bit, which I'm assuming is kind of what led to you doing more of the production type stuff is you kind of do like a, like background stuff for like video production. So it kind of sets the mood and like ambiance for films and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little bit of all of that. So, um, I, I went through a big jam band phase, uh, back in the day. Um, I'm kind of in, I guess you can call it in recovery, but, but a lot, but a lot. I did, um, when I first moved out to Denver, I was focusing on a lot of live music video production. So I got to, you know, meet and shoot and work with uh, a bunch of my favorite bands. And, uh, you know, I kind of took a step back from that when my favorite bands became my worst clients. And, and was like, you know what, this is uh, maybe not the best thing to do for a job if it's the thing I love. Um, but, you know, I, I've been around the quote unquote scene with radio air quotes. <laughs> um <laughs> long enough to kind of see the underbelly of it. But the, you know, the reason I got into it was, was very pure, you know, like it, it brought me so much joy and love and, um, connected me with some of my dearest friends, many of whom, you know, are still some of my best friends today. It gave me, um, a lot of incredible experiences and a lot of incredible places and uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, despite what you may hear for the next uh, hour or 90 minutes or so. <laughs> uh, evidence of the contrary. But uh, I, w- I want to make that clear that it's all really, really good. It's, it's the intentions, if the intentions are good, then, then everything is good. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty hippy-dippy there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it all. 
hey man, they say music's powerful and with power breeds corruption. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily go across the board, but of course, if something is that powerful, there is going to be people that are going to try to take advantage of it in the means of it and end up kind of ruining it for everybody in a way. But you know, like most things, man, you got to have, have two different sides of the battle here that you got to have the side that's just doing it for fun. And it's not necessarily all the pushed agenda, but when it seems to be with a lot of mainstream music, it is the agenda stuff that's pushed in your face. And a lot of people kind of have this bad taste in their mouth when it comes to a lot of music, not realizing how many more people there are behind the scenes that aren't necessarily agenda driven and just trying to do it for the sake of love of the music and just having fun doing it in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I think that's, um, <sighs> kind of an underlying theme for a lot of my experience with this and, and the research and, and it's hard to know the intention, right? You know, we, we can see, you know, a lot of coincidences, we'll say. We, we can um, study sort of the background and the funding and the origin stories of these people. But it's really impossible to know who um, was involved knowingly or unknowingly. And, you know, are, are they um, a puppet? They're just not aware of the person pulling their strings. Are they the ones pulling strings? It, it, it's really hard to say. Um, but it's really fun to speculate. And uh, as Charlie would say, uh, speculation island. <laughs> a fun place to visit here and there, you know? Hey, man, just for the sake of it, too, obviously we kind of have something that we're, a little bit bigger that we're going to end up talking about today. And I don't know if it was necessarily like the main spot where you started kind of peeling back the layers for it. But as far as this like music underbelly of these weird possible psyops and other agendas going on, like what was like the first thing that you really started to notice that really kind of put it in the forefront for you? Hmm. Well, I, I would say that kind of the, maybe we'll just bring it back to like the beginning of my truth or journey, if you will, you know, back in the days where Netflix had DVDs, <laughs> um, I remember watching the, the zeitgeist and, and just kind of being wowed by it, you know, getting this whole alternative narrative to things that I thought were pretty cut and dry. And, um, after I was as after I was exposed to that, and, you know, there's a lot of issues with the zeitgeist stuff, but, you know, the, the intention, I think, was pretty uh, on the up and up with that stuff. And so I just started going down different rabbit holes of things that, you know, just didn't seem quite right with me. And it's easy to, you know, poke poke holes in the consumerism and just like, you know, all the way those sheep will live. And it's just like, it, it's easy to do that when you feel like you're, um, unique in a different way or different from them. And the, uh, <laughs> the kind of come to Jesus moment, if you will, was getting exposed to an eight hour, approximately like eight hour podcast, a lecture conversation um, by someone named Jan Irving. Um, he did a, uh, an incredible Grateful Dead expose, uh, among others, uh, that I recommend everybody check out. And, um, you know, some things I'll talk about here, lean on some of his research and, and um, you know, there, there are plenty of people out there who, who know the facts and the dates and the details way better than I do. But to your question, what kind of made me start diving into it a little bit more was seeing how the, again, I'll use the, the scene <laughs> as a buzzword here, the, how it started eating up some of the people that were really near and dear to me, you know, I, I had this um, interesting moment where I ran into an old friend at, at a concert at Red Rocks and was so excited to see them and, and was just, 
you know, it had been many years and, and, you know, I ran up, gave him a big hug and I was like, what's new? What's going on? Like, tell me everything. And they just kind of like sighed. I was like, you know, like this. And, and their point was that they, it was one of three nights of, uh, I think it was a string cheese incident show, uh, run of shows, you know, at Red Rocks, Colorado, it's a big jam band haven. So you get a lot of bands doing not just one concert for one night. They were there for the entire weekend. And a lot of people go to all three nights. And I kind of, uh, kind of put it into like the traveling circus, uh, <laughs> mentality there. Like, you know, so people just, you know, they get, they get caught up with it and, um, it, it's really hard to leave, you know, just the, the music itself, the, the lifestyle itself becomes an addiction and the drugs don't, you know, they don't help things that much in that way. Um, but it was, it was just like this really kind of sinking feeling I got when I saw someone who was just, the last time I'd seen them was like full of life and joy and had, you know, like the whole world ahead of them. And, uh, you know, they just kind of lost it because they were seeing the same, same band for three nights in a row. And they were doing that throughout the entire summer for all the big jam bands. Whether you know string cheese, I'm freeze lotus, uh, all of these you know if you want to call them jam bands 3.0, if if the Grateful Dead is uh, 1.0, um, it's just kind of our generation's version of the same old song and dance, and that's why I think this stuff is relevant and important to be aware of because again the the music is great, the friends you make are incredible, the exp you know the experiences really have changed my life and put me in the position I am today, uh, but there's there's some darkness that's important to be aware of so you can be protected you can protect yourself and and uh you know just awareness is power right i mean there's multiple sides of that dice man because you have like the mainstream aspect where they get into like the whole occult aspect of it then there's the other side of it where you kind of it's it's that creative writer's block thing where you're trying to always create the new sound you're trying to create the new next best thing so you start experimenting with different drugs to see if they kind of make you feel a little bit different maybe think a little bit differently to keep trying to again create that new sound and then you have the other side of it where there's some type of agenda or push that's behind the music that they try to hide and it's not necessarily anything woo woo related or like occult related but rather to kind of just change the mindset of the general general public considering that again music can be so powerful but uh yeah it's one of those weird things that you can get wrapped up in it real quick if you don't pay attention to where you're going in the direction and that everything's heading in and even stuff that seems like it's just peaceful all about love can have some dark underbelly to it uh you know it, there can be a lot of love around but there is still something something underneath it that's underlying all of it you know totally and uh yeah i think you nailed it the Unfortunate reality is that they yeah. all of those sides of the dice, as you put it, are are kind of related. They're all, it's all the same die, so it, it's hard to separate them at a certain point. And um, you know, you can if if you're aware and you have some sort of like uh, internal compass that's guiding you, some sort of <laughs> inner sense of morality, wherever that may come from. Some people find it in religion or just whatever. It's um, it. it if you're a good person and trying to do right by people and um, trying to change the world in your own way, it, it's not going to affect you as much. Um, but it is, um, it's surprising how, how strong it can be and subtle at the same time. 
and, and, I, and I think that is the danger of it. And especially when you're mixing uh, hardcore psychedelics with some things that are meant to be very like subliminal type of programming that, you know, it, it sometimes it's hard to catch yourself in the middle of it. And, um, you know, I was talking to my, my girlfriend before the show, you know, we're recording this the day after the Super Bowl. And I think that's a good example of the power of kind of a mass ritual. You know, it is a very, the most televised event in the world. And here are people performing music with uh, really intense, powerful imagery. Uh, you know, go check out Isaac Weishap for uh, um, really good deep dives into all of that stuff. And, and, you know, do I think Usher is aware of all the occult symbolism that he's, uh, you know, promoting or dressed in or the, the visuals behind him? Probably not. Um, you know, maybe he, he was told some of it and got a, like, kind of a watered down version of it, but you know, there, there are people, uh, the, the capital T, they, um, who definitely know what they're doing and, um, would probably rather the performers not know. Cause then it's, it's, you know, one, one less layer of potential dilution, I guess maybe is a, a way to put it, you know, they can kind of, you know, they, they are fully in their performance and they are just charging up these sigils, these symbols and, and um, getting them broadcasted out to the widest televised audience that uh, humanity's ever known. And uh, the Grateful Dead were uh, a, a smaller example of that. You know, they were doing arenas, um, big stadiums towards the end of their career, uh, much like the one we saw during the Super Bowl last night, you know, but, but those weren't, it wasn't televised in the same way. And the people in the audience, in the, uh, the stadium, in whatever venue, you know, I think there's something way more powerful and I, I guess kind of dangerous about, you know, the massive sound systems they were building towards the end. And, you know, now we get into modern day with all these crazy projection mapping stuff, like the visuals that are just totally immersive and super freaking cool, you know, when you're there and seeing it. Um, but you know, even just like fight club, you know, who, who knows what, what sort of stuff they're splicing in that we, we don't really know that we don't catch, you know, we are filters, um, you know, we, we've got these filters and, and, but there are people that are pretty smart that have learned how to slip things through them without us really noticing. I mean, even just plain and simple, even if people don't necessarily get into like the woo woo occult side of everything, I mean, <clears throat> it's been proven that frequencies change and manipulate people's thought patterns so i mean even just something as simple as using a certain bass in a song or using a certain frequency within a song that the artist may again not even be the slightest bit aware of can completely change the mindset of people and then that's when you end up getting those like really weird experiences at concerts that aren't really quite explained and nothing ever really gets explained like the whole travis scott thing where he had like the portal that started spinning on the stage and then everybody started rushing and freaking out and everybody kept saying that they like didn't feel like themselves and again everybody wanted to link it to something occult and maybe it is partly something occult but i definitely think that it has more something to do with uh again using particular vibrations and frequencies to start altering mind patterns of people because i don't think they're necessarily like handing out drugs at concerts like that it has to be something completely completely different to get that much of the crowd all acting not themselves and essentially like being aggressive towards each other and not even 
you know, having fun with the music, but rather actually like wanting to like hurt each other, not like moshing, for example, where the intention isn't necessarily to hurt somebody. It's more so just you're into the music, you're having fun, but like physically punching, hurting people, stomping people, like doing ridiculous things at concerts. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on uh, a lot there that that's incredibly relevant. Um, you know, uh, uh, my mind first went to just sort of cymatics as a whole, you know, study of sound. And, and you're familiar with those um, videos you see of people putting sound waves through a plate of sand or water and creating these gorgeous crystal geometric patterns. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that to me is, is a great example of how healing and beautiful sound can be. And then you get into um, the experiments with, with, the two jars, you know, originally I think it was, you know, jar of rice, you know, and you say, I love you to one and I hate you to the other. And, and, uh, the, the negative jar, just the, the rice just rots so radically fast and, and, uh, you know, and people have done it with, with water and then you, you do the same sort of thing. You freeze both jars and the, the frozen structures are, are, it's, it's just mind blowing, you know, how much of an impact sound um can have on the body or or anything really and um words are an example of that and and frequency is just the the purest form of it and so you brought up the the astral world thing and 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 i think that's a great example because from what i read i I wasn't there um the a lot of the attendees were just just walking through festival the festival grounds i've been to a lot of festivals you know and, and it's usually just there's a great atmosphere and, and everybody's having a lot of fun and it's sort of like this good neighborly energy everybody's there for the same reason and and just kind of it's just just a great community um but if you start piping in like just these weird sort of like haunted sounds just just very dissonant at their core you know it, it just brings in the sense of dis-ease um just people become very uneasy and on edge and irritable and when you put people in that state and then bring them together into an enclosed area, like, a, you know, you're, you're out in the festival grounds and all of a sudden everybody's at the main stage for Travis Scott and all of these other influences start kind of hitting them. And, and it just it, it really is a wild experiment in just human behavior and psychology, how quickly people can turn on on uh, each other when they were just like being neighborly and community oriented moments before it it is frightening. And I guess that's why, you know, we saw it with Waco, the way the police and and the ATF and the FBI, like they, they use these sonic weapons, you know, if you've seen like the Waco documentary, you've heard any of those stories, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like babies crying and, and like sirens and it just, and you know, if you are able to direct that energy, that, that frequency towards a specific target, you can, um, you can have a pretty crazy effect on that target. Man, talking about music in general, though, like how powerful it can be on both sides of the spectrum, where I've kind of wondered a lot if a lot of like the current mental illness that's happening is due to a lot of like what the mainstream music is and what mindset it pushes people into, because it's pushing a lot of people into this like materialistic mindset of, you know, you got to be, you have to have this to be awesome. You got to have to be rich. You have to do this. You got to do this to get a girl. You got to do this. So essentially just like most mainstream music seems like it's almost talking down to the average person and people like enjoy listening to it. And it's just like, it's hard for me to get into like the mainstream stuff. Cause 
because honestly, I just feel like it's it's pretty much just somebody talking down to me the entire time I'm listening to the song and telling me that they're better than me. And it's like, who, 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 I don't, I don't enjoy listening to this. I don't understand why this has become like the popular thing. And then on the other side of it too, it's like, you know, we're obviously going to get into like the Grateful Dead stuff, but there's other agendas even behind that, that it's like, there was all the peace and love that was happening. And there was like a great aspect on that, that means, but it was also partly a psyop to kind of push people away and kind of just stay away from like the main air, the mainstream of everything going on. Because if they had everybody that was following the dead actually speaking out about the war, then maybe it would have actually got somewhere speaking out about it. But it seemed like everybody was just busy having fun, trying to run away from actually being drafted into the army and everything. So they were just kind of off to the side and out of sight, out of mind, rather than actually being the front that they thought that they were at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) that reminds me of, um, sort of trust the plan. You know, we, we heard a bunch, um, just a few years ago, it seems, you know, sort of like an early iteration of sort of like the QAnon uh, movement where it's, um, you know, yeah, maybe maybe there are some threads of truth and, and good intention there. But to basically pacify an entire group of people that might have otherwise done something a little bit more constructive or helpful, if if protesting the war was the goal, following the Grateful Dead isn't the best way to achieve it. <laughs> Um, and, and that was sort of my, you know, kind of going back to one of the original questions about how I kind of stumbled into this stuff where it's like, you know, I was able to spot all of these psyops and like, ah, oh, CIA got you, CIA got you, it's, you know, but I'm over here and oh, fuck. Yeah. They got me <laughs> <laughs> without me realizing, you know, and they're, they're good. You know, they, they got, um, they, they've got a trap for everybody and, uh, it's, it's really easy to fall into it if you're not careful. And yeah, yeah, the, I, I think I got away from the original question, if there was one. Um, was there a specific place you wanted to take this? Do you want to take it into the dead stuff? Or, um, oh, I remember, so I, I really liked your observation about sort of the substance of, of pop music. And I wanted to touch on something. I, I believe I, I read it in, um, d- do you know who David Byrne is, the uh, front man of Talking Heads? Yeah. Um, he has an amazing book called How Music Works. I recommend it to everybody who's even just mildly interested in music and um, or the Talking Heads because <laughs> it's good. But he, there's a, a passage in there kind of talking about the, I guess, how music has evolved within culture and communities. And sort of, if you think of like, you know, a lot of music was enjoyed sort of as a way of, of worship or religion for the longest time. You know, think about like monks and Gregorian chants, you know, they, they sang a lot in fourths and fifths because it was meant to be enjoyed in large cathedrals where those sorts of things were, you know, kind of blending together and, and um, you know, it, it just sounded, it sounded really, really cool in that big open space. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's an entire, genre of edm just just meant for big arenas you know something that's meant to be filled by like you know th- hundreds of thousands of people all all enjoying it together and um it seems like a lot of pop music is um a little more like isolationist you know it's it's produced and meant to be enjoyed by you know just like in in your little apple you know airpods or your you know beats or you know in your car or, you know with a massive subwoofer or maybe at a party you know it's the, the community 
that it's the music has been meant for, I feel like has has shrunk considerably. You know, it, it used to be people at um, you know, like the the town, the town had like their their guy, their music guy, and every, you know everybody would gather around in a pub. You know, it's like it, it was it was consumed very differently than it is today. And I think that the way people compose, produce, perform music is all a factor of um, kind of how it's how the audience is, is digesting it and consuming it in, in the current time. And so, um, yeah, do, do I find pop music particularly like soul filling or anything? Does it make me feel better listening to it? No, it, you know, feel, I feel a little dumber sometimes, but there are elements in it. It's like, huh, why, why is the song so popular other than the fact that it's being, you know, shoved down our throats with, with multi-million dollar marketing budgets there are certain really catchy things and, and it's, it's interesting to sort of dissect them a little bit and see, you know, what we can apply to other music that we find a little bit more satisfying. <laughs> um, and I know we touched on a lot. There is uh, anywhere uh, specific you want to take it. We will be right back after this brief commercial break. So stay tuned and we are back. So let's hop right in. Well, I definitely want to go into the, into uh, the grateful dead, but I did want to make a comment about the fact that, just music in general, it's not what it used to be even in the aspect of like creating a music that's like the sound of like a generation. Like I don't think that's necessarily going to be a thing that happens again because there's so much diversity within music and people feel so like attached to like their specific music now that there's been so many split genres everywhere like you know, tw- 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could kind of play like a universal channel and like everybody would be somewhat content with it in the room. But now there's such diversity within music that there's essentially nothing that you can play that everybody's going to be content with in a room. Like I talk about this stuff all the time at work, man, that it's like some people like country, some people like rock, some people like, like the really, really gangster rap. So it's like, if you play any of those things, intermixed with the people that like those any of those other three things like nobody's going to enjoy it like so it's really really hard to create like a sound and like create something that can draw a generation together and bring people together now just because everything is so divided in the world itself and especially within music thanks to just thousands of subgenres which i mean you can definitely look at it like it's a like it's a it's a good thing because i mean people are starting to create their own styles they're splitting off but with that also comes more division and that's kind of where you get into what you're talking about where stuff's more intended to be listened to single person by themselves in their car with their headphones because it's like the fan base is now we're so like spread out like it's just hard to bring everybody together with it because it's like you know you find this little niche genre that you really really like and it's like the exact sound that speaks to you but that doesn't mean that anybody else is going to listen to that music for maybe even you know, an hour or two drive from you, you, you there might only be like a, like five people in your entire state that listen to that specific genre of music. So it's like, how is that going to end up bringing anybody together in the end anymore? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really interesting point. Uh, and I think we can attribute that to a few things, you know, the, the internet, just giving people access to music that they didn't know existed, you know, that, that kind of changed my life you know, back with when Pandora first came out and you could start a radio station based on a certain song and, and the um, almighty algorithms would serve up something new and exciting for you. And, and that was really, really cool. And um, yeah, I, I think our in-person communities have shrunk 
Um, our online communities have grown and, and there's some good in that for sure. The fact that you can connect with somebody on the other side of, um, of the world and, and have the shared niche interest, like that doesn't make it inherently bad or anything. And I, I think, you know, back in the day, <laughs> you want to use that phrase, uh, you know, these the music was almost dictated, you know, I think the Beatles were a pop band, you know, it was the, the, you know, the, the Tonight Show, whatever, like all of these things contributed to what the masses heard. And um, that, that was a very narrow band of humanity's creative output. And, um, you know, the, the marketing budgets, the, all, all of these things basically decided what people were going to listen to. And when you just had a few radio stations in your town or a record store, Tower Records, you know, like you, you, that was like a, a whole genre of DJing emerged from crate digging, the phrase crate digging, just because it took an immense amount of effort, time and energy to go find these obscure record stores um, that had an obscure record collection and dig through there to find samples that no one had ever heard before and blending them together in a way that was totally unique. Um, and I, I, I do believe that there are, is a positive in, in the amalgamation of these genres. I think to an extent it does bring people, um, you know, to a, a, an easier compromise genre wise occasionally, you know, if you really like bluegrass, you know, you can start becoming more open-minded to country music, even if you never thought you would and vice versa. Um, and Billy Strings is a great example in the jam band world. You know, he's a, a, a traditional bluegrass player that goes on these very long psychedelic improv, uh, my mic, uh, improv journeys, you know, and, and it's bringing people who were sort of into that Grateful Dead adjacent jam music into a world of sort of like Americana bluegrass, something like a little bit more wholesome, if you will. And, you know, and, and you look at what even the original members of Grateful Dead were listening to. They were listening to jazz and, and these Americana icons and folk singers and incredible songwriters. You can see it in, in the songs that they were covering. You know, they were influenced by um, really, really incredible people that uh, I don't think the masses are very familiar with at all. Um, and, and it takes a lot of time and energy to sort of like tug on those stories you know, threads of influence and find out who your favorite musician was inspired by and listening to that person and, and that whole realm of music. And so, um, it's not for someone who's just a casual listener. I I get that. Um, but I I do believe that there's more compromise to be found with these blending of genres (laughs) in, in an interesting way. I mean, talk about blending of genre, man. It seems like the whole jam rock band thing has kind of transitioned even more past that where obviously with stuff like the Grateful Dead it had more of that like kind of bluesy feel to it and then you kind of get into the 90s and then you have stuff like Slightly Stupid for example and then it kind of has like that kind of reggae kind of sounding feel to it along with like the bluegrass and now it's like transitioned into even farther past that where a lot of the jam stuff I hear now kind of has this like electronic feel then it also kind of has that reggae feel to it and then it also still kind of has that bluesy feel to it it's just kind of like with each generation when it comes to the jam rocks stuff it's like a new influence gets thrown in and then it all kind of gets clustered again into its own like form of music and it's like jam rock has been jam rock you know 
back since the 60s, but it's like transitioned and just keeps adding a new piece every every like 10 years or so. There's like a new genre that gets thrown into it and it just kind of yeah. accompanies what society is at that time. And maybe that's honestly why jam rock seems to be if there was one type of music that kind of brings everybody together and kind of is able to kind of tickle everybody's fancy a little bit, it seems to be jam rock because it has mixes in like that. Cause I mean, even going into some jam rock stuff now, you even have people that are like rap over certain parts of the song. So you can even kind of bring the hip hop crowd into it too. So it's like, maybe, maybe that's the music that can be powerful, but if the power isn't used properly, it can go in a really bad direction really quickly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I think those are great observations, um, and it made me think. You know, a lot of the conversations I've had with people, you know, at these shows and these festivals, like you know, the the underlying theme is that a lot of people who are into the jam scene are, you know, like they didn't grow up on the jam scene. You know, they they all had their own individual influences, and you know, for me, it was you know, sort of like a a Pink Floyd classic rock thing, and and kind of tugging on sort of like the guitar solo string and finding people who were, you know, I, I thought rock and roll was dead, you know, for the longest time. And then I, I found bands like Humphreys McGee and, and Fish and, and all that stuff. It's like, oh my God, these people are virtuoso guitarists and, and just crafting these mind-bending solos and compositions and, and bringing in these jazz chords. And anyway, it's, it's a way... Um, for a lot of music nerds to come together in, uh, you know, who may have just appreciated separate dead artists to come together and in, into, uh, to appreciate current touring live artists and get that community experience. Um, and, and hear these different influences, whether it be the reggae stuff, the, the dub, the, you know, bluegrass, the Southern rock, the, you know, shred stuff, prog, tool, esque you know like think about like a band like primus it's just so heavy and like gets you kind of spun into these like really dark places and has, still has this goofy undertone there's a comedic element to it and like you said the hip-hop stuff and so the jam scene in my experience is an incredibly open-minded bunch and uh and i think that is great and also can be uh, to their detriment sometimes too, which I'm sure we're going to get into here shortly. And so, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's um, <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, exposition of it all. And uh, I definitely like to take the opportunity to start getting into uh, some of the Grateful Dead stuff. But at least like one last comment about the jam rock stuff that I do want to not sound like I'm completely like bashing on them because it, it, it's it's on both sides of it, of course. But one thing that I've always appreciated about jam rock is the fact that it seems like it breeds musicians that actually understand what they're playing and actually know and breathe music because it's one thing to be playing the same repetitive song every single time you go on tour, every single time you go out where like all these jam rock bands, like I've seen slightly stupid a handful of times and every single time they play a song, they get into a totally different guitar solo or they have somebody with a new instrument that comes out and starts adding in a piece to it. So at least it kind of keeps it where it's still fresh. Even if you're hearing the same songs over and over again, and even in turn with that, they understand their music to such an extent that they're able to side tangent off back and forth and almost create some new essentially every single time they play even though they're using the same bass foundation of the song yeah and, and i think that's a that's a great segue because you know what would make someone go follow the same band for decades <laughs> you know if they were playing the same set list over and over again um that would be really freaking boring <laughs> so there was this um kind of what, what you were mentioning there this this 
evolving catalog of songs and set lists that you know kept the audience on their toes and basically oh you feel badly if you miss a night because they did this crazy rare thing that they are never going to do again and you missed it and because you didn't want to go to that show that night and uh, there's a serious case of FOMO that that uh, people experience and I'm I was guilty of it for the longest time and you know there are just so many great shows out there that it's hard to see every one of them but you know, there. I think that is the reason a lot of people are are into going to see the same band over and over again. Um, but there were also, um, we we alluded to them before. There there were kind of societal factors to it all too. Um, there's uh, a theory that kind of one of the the broader intentions of the the capital T they um, they want to implement is sort of a destruction of the family unit, right? Uh, because if you think about it, the family unit is a way of passing down information kind of from, you know, father to son and mom to daughter and, and sort of creating this this story that's, you know, th there's a narrative to it all and there's some sort of level of trust and tradition. And if you break that apart, and, you know, we see that in so many different ways, shapes, and forms these days. Music definitely separates generations, like, drastically. <laughs> yeah, and, and the younger generation, without that thread to, um, you know, to pull from, you know, they become susceptible to whatever their new father figure is, whether it be um, a teacher, you know, from the, the state-run schools or Jerry Garcia, um, you know, when you take someone away from the family unit back in the day, you know, think about like the late sixties, early seventies, you know, we didn't have that, no cell phones. Like, you know, you had to call your parents from a payphone if you wanted to talk to them or write them a letter. If you were uh, half the country away and it'd be, you just kind of picked up and left in, in the back of a bus or whatever, it's, uh, you know, it, they're, there was this removal of people from that tradition. And, and that's not to say that people shouldn't go out and experience the world because I, I firmly believe that's an important thing to do. Um, but to just completely reject the family unit in, um, to, to trade one, your father for a new dad, uh, Jerry, that's, um, you know, I, I think there's, <laughs> get yourself into trouble that way a little bit. Um, so, so I think that there, there, that's a big underlying theme of this whole uh, Grateful Dead thing. Because th that is, when you think about the Grateful Dead, you think of following the Grateful Dead. You think of people seeing hundreds of shows over so many years. And it's really hard to be a um, contributing member of society when you're just like, you know, living off of grilled cheeses in the, in the lo parking lot, you know? Um, so, so I think if you can get people out of their normal flow where they could, you know, develop relationships and, and hold a, a good job and, and all of these sorts of things. Um, you know, I think you can destroy people and then families and then sort of societies as a whole by degrading them that way. And, and that is not to say like work a dead end nine to five job for the rest of your life and don't go see music. That is not what I'm saying. Um, but there's uh, you know, shades of gray here, just like everything. Or Touch of Grey for the Grateful Dead reference. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even with like the Grateful Dead stuff, talking about like destruction of, of a family too. I mean, around that time was when there was like the whole hit me movement in the aspect of like free love where, you know, people were just kind of going around doing whatever with whoever. So, I mean, that kind of destroyed that, that, that connection between a single person 
male, you know, male and female person, whatever, like the relationship, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, because then at that point it was just, that was the start of everybody just kind of going out and doing whatever they wanted with whoever they wanted. And then when it kind of gets to that point too, once somebody has been a little bit too experienced on that front, then it's hard for them to form their own family unit because it's kind of hard for somebody to want to settle down with somebody who's, you know, slept with five people at every single Grateful Dead show because it sounds fun in the time, you know, when you're, you're having fun on the drugs, you know, you're on, on LSD, you're eating mushrooms, you're just free love, you're a free spirit. But then when you're done following the dead and you just want to settle down, you, you know, you've had, you have a lot of road wear at that point. So it's, it's kind of hard to settle down with somebody that's going to be like quality to set up a family with. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mileage on, on that one after a while. And, uh, you know, the, the drug thing is, is interesting and sort of, a I, I take a nuanced approach to it. You know, a lot of people say it's, it's all good or it's all bad. And, and, and I think, you know, to a large extent, sex is the same way, you know, it, it's not, you don't have to take this, you know, strict Catholic, you know, trad approach to it and that you don't have to, um, you know, live with a polycule and, and not have a single partner for forever. And, and, you know, everybody's polyamorous and, and, uh, that's all great because no one really cares. And, you know, like both of those sides seem a bit extreme for me. Um, but I, I think it, it's the intention that really determines how that, you know, how that experience will go for you. You know, if you, I don't have an answer for what the right amount of partners is, but I do know that it's, um, you know, if you treat a relationship with love and respect, then you are going to be someone who, even if that relationship or that partner doesn't work out, you're going to go into the next one with a little bit more understanding and compassion and patience and and love. Uh, And I feel that psychedelics are similar. You know, do I recommend them for everybody? No. Um, do I contribute a lot of kind of where I am today, um, to some of the early experiences I had? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think they are a tool, just like a firearm. Um, you know, it can be used to, um, defend yourself or it can be used maliciously. And, and I think there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on, um, whether we're aware of it or not. And I think the, your original psychedelic experiences help show you that, you know, life isn't really what it seems on the surface or how we were brought up to, um, to see the world. And, and, and I think initially that that's a very, very good thing for people to experience. I think it, while they might not always be, you know, just, just joyous and loving and all, all these things like, you know, there, there, there's some darkness that can seep in on these things, but that's the human psyche. That's not the drug in and of itself. And so I think when people think of a, a quote unquote bad trip, it's not the drug that did it. It's their surroundings. It's their internal um, mental landscape. It's their, you know, it's something going wrong in their life that needed attention anyway. And these substances basically really focused you in on those things. And, um, so it's, it's really hard for me to categorically say that these things are dangerous um, or unhelpful and don't have a place because I honestly think they pro- they do. And especially where I live in, in Colorado, you know, it's this big push for psilocybin, mushroom legalization, recreationally, you know, it, it, the, the conversation has shifted so dr- drastically 
since the the era of the dead um and the origins <laughs> we can get into that of of these drugs especially lsd and sort of the distribution networks that went along with it and, and so it, it's hard you know i have this kind of bittersweet feeling about the whole legalization movement because um yes i, I think it is it is really good for people to experience these uh this stripping away of what they kind of thought they knew um but also i i've you know, when you keep opening the same door or going through the same door, yes, it, it, you've opened the door to uh, this, you know, this next realm. A, do you know how to close it again? And what is able to now come through it? And, you know, that gets into sort of the, the Crowley sort of thing, Jack Parsons, uh, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of these elements that people aren't aware of um, th that doesn't mean they're not there <laughs> just because they're not aware of them. So, um I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Any of that? Oh yeah, definitely. I actually, I was going to mention the fact that I'm definitely somebody who's an advocate for psychedelics as a spiritual growth tool. And I definitely think that they're extremely beneficial when used properly by the correct people, uh, myself included. It's been kind of like a weird theme recently on the show that it's been kind of brought up a little bit that, uh, you know, I was, I was a really bad alcoholic and it was thanks to psychedelics that I was able to kind of shift my mindset and was able to grow personally to kind of get over some of these addictions. But on the other side of it, you know, as good as those things can be, there is also people that are aware of, the mindset that you are uh, that you're in when you're under the influence of these types of things and that's where the issue comes in is the people that try to manipulate somebody when they're a little bit more fragile which is like again why i i'm a big advocate for using them as a tool not necessarily as like a just go out and party type of thing um because again you never know what other people's intentions might be and even getting into like the weird side of like music and everything like that too i mean with all the frequency, just particular sounds, different things like that. You know, when you're under the influence of something, you're having a good trip, you're doing your thing. All it takes is somebody playing the wrong pitch, the wrong frequency, the wrong song, and everything can completely start going downhill. And you may not understand why, because again, there's a lot of psychology and thought put into understanding how to manipulate people with one frequencies. And then you put again, another substance on top of it. That's able to alter people's perceptions and you can kind of go from there. So it's just, again, like time and place with a lot of that kind of stuff where, um, you know, I, I was never really a fan of doing it at concerts just because of it. I just wouldn't necessarily put me in the right mood, but I was also a big fan of listening to a lot of like jam rock bands while I was sitting at home doing these types of things, just because it's just different feel, different ambiance. And then you don't have to worry about like outside factors because that's always been like my biggest thing is even beyond the music. It's like, you know, there's a lot of good people in the world, but then again, there's also a lot of people that have malicious intent in the world and not even all the way to just the full end of the spectrum, but just, you know, when you, when you're tripping, for example, and you have a couple of friends, you know, you'll have your one friend that tries to help you through everything. He gets you your blankets, you know, he, you need some water, you need a snack. And then you got your other friend who's like, boo, boo, yeah. boo every five minutes. And it's not that he's necessarily trying to like be this evil person, but like, it just takes somebody like that, that is joking around the wrong way. And they can completely just mess up your mindset for a while. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, the prankster mentality is, is a great, uh, <laughs> Uh, great segue here. Uh, are you familiar with the Ken Kesey acid tests at all? I know the name, but I'm not familiar with what it was exactly. If you want to explain it also for the listeners. Yeah. So Ken Kesey was um, one of the great American authors back in the day, um, kind of in that, that psychedelic 
movement, uh, the origin of that movement. Um, he wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we will be right back after this brief commercial break, so stay tuned. And we are back, so let's hop right in. And so the story goes <laughs> um, that he was... He answered some sort of ad um, for a medical trial of sorts. Um, and I, I think it was at Stanford, basically. He, uh, I, I could be wrong on that. Um, but basically, he went in and was given um, one of the early uh, LSD <laughs> experiments. Um, and the book he, uh, I think it, Tom Wolf is the author. Um, let me check that. But it is um, the electric Kool-Aid acid test. It, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good book. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great story. Um, I, I think a lot of there's, it overlooks a lot and takes some artistic liberties of, of how things went. But basically, you know, without not really spoiling anything, but, you know, he becomes um, one of the early advocates for LSD and, and the psychedelic movement. Um, he he buys an old school bus and, and, and paints it all this like uh, neon glowing day glow stuff. And him and his merry band of pranksters um, travel across the country, essentially with the Grateful Dead, um, becoming sort of a nationwide distrib distribution network for, uh, for LSD and um, just really freaking people out, you know, going to these small towns in, in the middle of America and, and they had never seen anything like this before. And their whole intention was just to kind of be this sort of prankster, jokester, joker energy um, which can be fun, uh, especially for the person who's pranking and joking, um, less fun for the people who are the, the butt of the joke. And, um, I think there was an entire generation that became the butt of this joke, unfortunately, but, um, they had these, this ties into the origin of the Grateful Dead because they would have these acid tests. Um, they were these events in, uh, the Watts ghetto of, uh, LA. And, um, there's a lot of speculation that they were, uh, CIA, funded, influenced, and um, the Grateful Dead, who were called the Warlocks at the time, um, you know, they were just like, gigging musicians, they were doing bar gigs, whatever, and um, then they got this, this gig to play the acid tests, and um, you know, the, the big thing with the Grateful Dead is, is pretty much every one of their shows has been recorded and traded via tapes, and, and you know, it was a real revolution in terms of music, you know, think about how big of a deal LimeWire was and Napster back in the day, these people, they were just like, giving the music out, you know, everybody, uh, you know, ate it up. Um, if you were to find and listen to these tapes, and, and I have, like, they're unlistenable, like, the, the music is not good, it is um, very noisy and weird and dissonant, and um, just very uneasy feeling. And um, from what I could tell from the accounts I've read, uh, during these acid tests, basically, people walked in and were given um, essentially a cup of Kool-Aid, you know. Uh, it was just laced with L. And, um, and then they were proceeded to be at the show with dis uh, asynchronous strobes, like strobe lights going off in like weird different um, patterns and timings, which if you, you know, those who know about neurochemistry and and sort of the way the brain works is like if you start firing these things that it a way that's different from where the called the frequencies that we're resonating on like it, it really has a serious uh physiological effect um and when you become um <laughs> basically in in 
that state, you become very suggestible and susceptible to messages. And that was a big underlying factor for the MK Ultra programs. It's, it's you know, obviously an umbrella term for a ton of different programs. Uh, I've, I've read that a lot of these Grateful Dead specific uh, programs were under the number 58. I, I don't really know. I, I, again, the, the specific details are best directed towards, you know, people like Ian Irving and stuff like that. But it was a way of creating these split personalities in the mind. And um, they, they found that doing it through intense psychedelic experiences was just as effective as like um, sexual abuse and violence and all of these things that trauma, it, it basically creates this trauma response that separates the, um, the mind and, and makes you more suggestible. Uh, implanting ideas and thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. Not to get side tangent off the Grateful Dead, because I want to make sure we're, we're able to cover everything we need to cover as far as they go. But um, as far as these like acid tests and like manipulating people's brains, like, do you think this is what happened to like Sid Barrett, for example, since he kind of just like went off the deep end? Do you think that they were trying to like manipulate his brain and it ended up just causing him to like go mad in the process of it? Oh man, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I, I hadn't really considered that. To me, Sid seemed like a person who just didn't belong here. And I know those people, I felt that way before. Um, and there's an escapism that comes with kind of leading that sort of existence. And I think any sort of escape will do. His uh, seem to be psychedelics. And I don't, you know, I, I, maybe it's because they're my favorite band and I'm biased, um, but I don't see Sid Barrett as being um, some sort of asset per se. I, I don't think he, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I do see that as a different situation. I think he was just um, a really unique bizarre individual who felt more at home in the acid realm than um, here with the rest of us and um, just slowly lost his mind because people who are prone to schizophrenia, you know, it, it doesn't take much. It, you know, it, it'll start separating you uh, pretty quickly from what I can tell. And uh, it, it, I don't think Sid Barrett realized. I think it was the rest of the band, you know, which led to the whole Wish You Were Here album. You know, it, like he, he, it's, they just lost someone that they loved and knew and spent, you know, so much of their life with, and they just watched this person deteriorate in front of them. And I would liken that more towards the followers of the Grateful Dead than the Grateful Dead themselves. See, I'm a big fan of Pink Floyd also, so I just want to throw that out there too. Yeah. But uh, like as far as he goes too, I was kind of wondering if it was almost like a failed trial because, I mean, realistically, like Pink Floyd was just as influential, I feel, as like the Grateful Dead was, for example. And, uh, you know, it could have been that they were kind of trying to put their hands into multiple places, giving people access to like LSD and stuff. And he just may have been like a failed trial that he just took it a little bit too far off the deep end than what they thought he was going to do. And maybe they wanted to use him as an asset. And he just, again, just went off the rails. And once he was gone, he was just gone at that point. And then they just drew back any tie and pretended like they knew nothing about any of it. Because I mean, yeah. like, especially back in the day, it's not like LSD. I mean, 
once people understood how to make LSD, it was one thing, but the whole like push of when LSD was hitting heavy, like it was definitely funded from somewhere. And you start digging into like MK Ultra, and it's like it would just make sense that just one guy would show up to a big crowd of people that would be more than willing to take multiple doses of LSD, and essentially they just hand it out as as a trial just to see how it you know after sid left the band um unofficially at first and then more officially and then finally you know it it became a different band and so uh, honestly i haven't looked into a lot of that origin story or you know really kind of who he was hanging around with whose handlers might have been at the time um but now i'm curious i'm I'm gonna have to dive into that that's um that's that's a really good point We'll have to uh, dig that one back up on a future episode because I'm, I'm all down to talk about Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah. So um, to take a step back, basically, that was sort of the origin story of, of the Grateful Dead, right, was this big acid test. Um, that was what put them on the map. That uh, was essentially when they transformed from the Warlocks to the Grateful Dead. Um, and all of a sudden, they started getting, you know, just more and more popular, like, um, sort of uh, artificially popular if, you know, maybe, how do I put it? Basically, it seemed like there, there wasn't an organic source of funding behind them. And you kind of talked about, you know, you just brought it up there. It's like, you know, making drugs isn't easy or cheap. You know, it, it, <laughs> um, it's not like someone just stumbles upon it. There, there sort of has to be sort of uh, some sort of initiation um, or catalyst there. And in the Grateful Dead's case, um, that dude was uh, Owsley. Um, have you heard of this character before? Yeah, I know the name, but I guess for all the listeners, I, I want to try to make sure we, we paint the full picture for him if you want to kind Absolutely. of reiterate a bit. Yeah, so Stanley Owsley um, was essentially the band's chemist. He, he made all the LSD uh, for the Grateful Dead. Uh, he was kind of largely responsible, so the story goes, for um, most of the acid consumed by the United States and probably the world for uh, those early phases of the psychedelic movement. Um, There's a lot of speculation of who was funding him. And by speculation, I mean a lot of pretty hard evidence that it was not just his money. Uh, He was the son of military intelligence, uh, like so many we read about and, you know, weird scenes from the uh, Canyon, Dave McGowan's book. Uh, and then he became the sound engineer, de facto sound engineer for the Grateful Dead, which led to um, the wall of sound, which was like a two or three story set of speakers that were so finely tuned. And like this, this, it just it looks like a sonic weapon, you know, when fully built. Uh, and, and so it was just this really interesting relationship. You know, he wasn't an official member of the band. But, you know, it's sort of like the way Fish may consider their lighting designer uh, the fifth member of the band. This guy, you know, was kind of probably largely responsible for creating the Grateful Dead movement as we know it today because of the, um, you know, the the accompaniment of LSD for, for the whole movement. I mean, I definitely think that, like, if it wasn't for LSD, the Grateful Dead wouldn't have been what they are because I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have, besides, like, the people that are honest musicians, just, like, the average listener wouldn't have been able to fully, like, comprehend the music. Like, it it just wouldn't have hit, like, wouldn't have touched base and felt home to them if it wasn't for being in that altered mindset of thinking outside the box and wanting to hear, like, odd rhythms, odd beats, ominous kind of sounds thrown into the background, like... If, if it wasn't for them, that's like, that's like half of 
what defines them as what they are. On top of the fact that you were talking about how they artific- how they seemed like they became popular without much like backing to it too. Um, I feel like a big play to that also may have been a lot of like the symbolism because even like today, man, you see a lot of people that have no idea who the Grateful Dead are. They've never heard a song. They can't name one song, but everybody knows their multiple logos. Everybody knows the walking bears. Everybody knows the skull head. Like everybody, everybody knows their symbols still like, and that that's half the battle. I feel it's just creating something that defines you and you have the symbolism with the LSD. And even if people hadn't heard the music, like there's a good chunk of people that were in regardless, just off of the fact that things looked cool and you had something to stare at the things that look cool <laughs> while, while, while you're on something and listening to the music. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, that brings up a a bunch of good points there. The, um, the Grateful Dead, the name of allegedly came from the Tibetan book of the dead. They kind of, um, did one of those sort of like magic rituals where they just took, um, you know, a book off the shelf and opened to a page and, you know, there it was just staring out at them. And, you know, it was just kind of an obvious choice. So the story goes, and, you know, you see that in a lot of their imagery, yeah, the dancing bears are cute and fun, and but you know the the steal your face uh, icon, which is the the skull. Um, y- you know, if you didn't see it in the context of tie dye, it would probably be um, darker than we uh, kind of have come to see it as. Uh, and you know, th- it's interesting. And the uh, you know the psychedelic movement, without getting too deep into it, you know, Terrence McKenna is another one of the um, kind of the, you know, godfathers of the movement. And there's, you know, he, he himself admitted in um, an Esalen uh, talk he was giving, um, which is a well-known MK Ultra outlet at the time. Uh, and still to this day, you know, kind of uh, what people have called the culture factory, you know, where so many of these uh, movements have come out of. And uh, there's a, a quote here that I, I like to reference uh, <laughs> I'll take it out of context, but I encourage everybody to go find the context because there's a lot of people debunking it out there. It's, oh, that's not what he said. But, you know, when you, when you see the context, it's, it's pretty obvious. He goes, certainly when I reached uh, uh, Cohera in 1971, I had a price on my head by the FBI. I was running out of money. I was at the end of my rope, and they recruited me and said, you know, with a mouth like yours, there's a place for you in our organization. And, you know, I've worked in deep background positions about which the less said, the better. And then about 15 years ago, they shifted me into public relations, and I've been there to the present. And so I I like that quote because it touches on a few key themes, that there's someone who is sort of... um, on this path already, sort of, and that could be like the Grateful Dead. You know, they were already musicians. They were already into this kind of weird psychedelic thing. Um, they already have a bit of a platform and a bit of a following. They may have been compromised by sort of an arrest or, you know, which definitely the Grateful Dead, uh, you know, the, the lyric busted out on Bourbon Street, uh, you know, basically where maybe they were just kind of given the ultimatum. Like, hey, if you want these charges to go away, you're now essentially going to be in public relations for um, whatever three-letter agency you want. Uh, You know, fill in the blank there. And um, so so there's could be a lot of different layers to this. And um, maybe that's why they started, you know, maybe it was just out of pure interest or curiosity that they started doing a lot of these weird experiments 
Um, and, and these were the things that really <laughs> kind of sparked uh, the interest in me to start diving deeper into these topics was um, these ESP experiments they did live at their shows, as well as this show that quote unquote never happened. One of the most famous shows the Grateful Dead ever played um, at Barton Hall, Cornell University, which uh, if you know anything about Cornell, you know, that's the perfect spot for it. <laughs> and um, uh, basically the story goes that this show, which is widely considered by most Grateful Dead fans to be the best show they ever played. It's an impeccable sound uh, recording because, you know, a lot of these things were um, recorded by what are referred to as tapers. You know, people with just microphones in the back of the stadium um, just pointing at the, the stage and just getting a recording that way, which doesn't sound as good as a soundboard, you know, basically recording out of the mixing board at, at front of house. Um, so this was sort of like the peak, of, you know, the rollout of like this higher fidelity audio and they were just at, uh, they were on fire at that time. You know, they were really hitting their stride with the sound and the movement. This was um, late 70s, 77. And um, the, the story goes that the show never actually happened, that there were uh, Bob Weir admitted to it on uh, one podcast, his, actually his own radio show, talking with one of the roadies, Steve Parrish. And they're sort of just reminiscing and joking around. It's sort of that prankster mentality that you were talking about uh, earlier where it's like, oh, it's, it's been long enough. We, we can talk about it. And, um, you know, basically the, the st- <laughs> how they just like tricked everybody into Im- implanting this memory into people who swear up and down that they were at that show. And they remember just getting crushed in the front row because in the board recording you hear like, hey, let's play everybody's favorite game. Take a step back. And this is this happening at set break, and you know it's it's in it's in the recording, and they're basically getting everybody to just take steps back because the people in the front row are getting crushed, and and uh, oh the snow that, that day was so terrible, and and so it's like all these tiny little details that are just just enough to get this false memory implanted into people, and it, to me it, it was just such a fascinating experiment. Like I I don't know, I wasn't there, I wasn't uh, alive then. Maybe the show happened, maybe it didn't. Um, I just know that I- I'm going to take Bob Weir, the guitarist of the Grateful Dead, uh, word for it when he says the show never happened and uh, when he explains kind of how they did it. So um, are you familiar with that anecdote at all? Yeah, I, I'm, I know about it. I'm actually, I'm trying, I'm just sitting back and listening to all the details of it. And I was going to say, it, it reminds me a lot of like the whole idea of like the Mandela effect that I almost wonder if that whole show is like an early trial of like what we're experiencing with the Mandela effect, which is like implanted memories and altering people's perception memories through like little intricate details that again, nobody has a good explanation for the Mandela effect. Maybe it is at its root, just a continuation of a psyop of essentially what, what they were trying to do with this show. Oh. Yeah, yeah, the Mandela effect's interesting. Um I I know it you know, there there are certain ones that just that really hit me <laughs> in the stomach. It's like, man, that just doesn't feel right. And um and there are people I talk to who agree with me and people I talk to who say, like, what are you talking about? It's always been that way. And you know, maybe it maybe there's an element of this, maybe there's an element of CERN opening up parallel dimensions. You know, who who knows? Maybe it is just um, memory bias and, and, you know, can be explained away with human psychology. It, it could be a combination of everything too. Um, but 
it's interesting that with this specific experiment that I'm talking about, allegedly it wasn't the first time they tried it, and the first time was a big failure. And and this this is to me where where it gets even more interesting because the first time they tried it was in mid uh, 1975, so a couple years earlier. Uh, and so the story goes that two major mistakes were made. First, they picked the one time the dead were not touring. <laughs> so they didn't have this um, string of concerts that they could basically slot this memory into and say, you know, look, like there's a, an overarching narrative here, and this false memory fits in with all the real ones without any sort of uh, cognitive dissonance there. Um, and so people who were big fans just didn't buy it. And and kind of to your point earlier with Sabari, like, you know, the, I, I think the the capital T they are pretty good at just like washing their hands of something and walking away from it really quickly when they realize it's not working. Um, and and the uh, more serious mistake was um, basically they used uh, the 1969 version of the Dead that was playing when the program was conceived because you know the government you know they're not the brightest some of them. Um, so the sudden appearance of Pigpen who had died two years earlier. <laughs> literally blew the minds uh, of those in attendance is the, the quote I'm reading um, from a post off of archive.org. And, um, you know, that brings me, it makes me think about, you know, these hologram things that we're, we're seeing now, like where people, you know, it doesn't mean people didn't think Tupac was alive when the hologram came out at Coachella. Like there are people who were, were pretty convinced that they were seeing the reincarnation of Tupac. Um, and I'm sure there are people, if, if this story and this uh, version of the story is true, I'm sure people really thought that Pigpen had um, resurrected for this show. Um, and the, this uh, story that I'm reading from basically was to uh, was from someone who, um, kind of a whistleblower who was part of the group of college students hired to attend shows during that time and collect tapes and select which tunes to use and identify subjects for the experiment. And, you know, they treated like a real scientific experiment and uh, you got to respect them for that, I guess. <laughs> Did they ever say like what their intention was behind this? Because correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if this is a rumor or not, but I've heard that uh, a couple of the different members of the Grateful Dead actually have family members that are military tie-in, FBI, CIA. So do you think that it was like a push from them being connected with them? Or do you think it was simply just like a, like a trickster experiment just to see if they could do it? Like, do they ever admit to any of it on like a reason why they did it? Or like, what, what's kind of your beliefs on like why you think it happened in the first place? Yeah. Um, I, from everything that I've read, it seems like the, the Grateful Dead themselves were more into the idea of pranking a group of people and kind of just bringing this uh, sort of, you know, chaotic energy into things. I think they were really interested in the psychedelic movement in general and kind of testing the limits. Um, you know, I referenced an ESP experiment they did and um, maybe we can get into that. Maybe, you know, maybe that's another time, but I, I, I do think there was a genuine curiosity to sort of testing the waters in this world. And I think in you know, in my opinion, it probably went something like this, where they were doing their thing, they were approached, um, they were basically, you know, they, someone backed up a dump truck full of cash and said, hey, if you want this and you want new instruments and you want to basically kind of achieve some higher level of notoriety, um, you know, maybe we just kind of collaborate on a few things. 
And we're not going to tell you to change the lyrics. We're not going to tell you to do this or that. But, you know, we're, we're going to have a little bit of influence here and there. And, and you know, when, our, when the phone rings, pick it up. To me, that seems more likely than Jerry being a CIA asset. Um, and I think that's probably evident by, you know, some of the members coming and going throughout the years. Um, just kind of the way Jerry deteriorated. Uh, it, it seems to me like an example example of someone who got into something when they were young and didn't really know any better and then started to see the damage that was done because of them you know uh, I think after all the years on the road and sort of the sentiment that I started the show with like seeing sort of my friends deteriorate and sort of get lost in the sauce if you will uh, I think if you're a good person that that takes a toll on you and so there are a lot of members of the dead and um, I'm sure some of them were more enthusiastic or more read in about things than others, if that makes sense. I mean, kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt, too. I mean, typically, people that are into psychedelics are fascinated with psychology. So, I mean, like, if you were somebody that is into psychedelics to begin with, and even if it is a government official, I came up to you one day and said, hey, we want to run this psychology experiment. You'd be the perfect person to be like the constant for it. Would you be interested in doing this? You know, it may not have been, again, that, like you said, they had this direct government tie-in, but rather just the fact that they took advantage of stuff that they were interested in, and then later on they realized the damage that it had actually done. But, I mean, realistically, I mean, most people that are in that situation, I feel like even out of just curiosity, not even necessarily anything nefarious, like may have taken that opportunity just to see if it is potentially capable to be pulled off, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been fascinated about it. In, in my time with it, you know, and like you kind of lock eyes with somebody you're tripping with and you, you're convinced that you're sharing some sort of, you know, mental bond, you know, or some, something that, you know, this, this fleeting ephemeral moment that no one else could possibly understand because they're not there in that headspace with you. And, and I do believe humans are, are, have that capability uh, with or without drugs. I, I think the um, psychedelic influence is sort of a shortcut to some of those capabilities. Uh, and, and that's fascinating to me. Like I, I understand. Um, it's, it's sort of the implications of it when rolled out on kind of like a nationwide scale that um, things start to sort of fall apart. And uh, there, there are a couple of lyrics that I pulled um, that, that I thought of, you know, <laughs> they're just kind of telling to me and, and, they slipped by me for so many years until I started getting down this path a little bit. Um, the first one is, is from one of their uh, songs, Dancing in the Streets. Um, the, the line goes, no one's noticed, but the band's all packed and gone. Were they ever here at all? But we kept on dancing. And you know, to me, that, that harkens back to the uh, Barton Hall show we just talked about, where were they ever here at all? Because um, <laughs> the instruments aren't here, the gear's not here, but you know, we remember dancing. Uh, and so like, that's interesting. And then the one, the first one that got me, where I was just like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> how, how could I miss this? Uh, it's from a song called U.S. Blues. Um, and uh, the line goes, I'm Uncle Sam. That's who I am. Been hiding out in a rock and roll band. Ugh. Dude, it reminds me of like Stanley Kubrick, but through music instead of through film, that it's like they did something, they felt guilty about it. So in turn, they started leaving these subtle clues within their media because 
more than likely they probably signed some type of agreement that they basically could not say a word about it. So the way to get around that is you just you put these little trickles of stuff and you just hope that people will pick up on them and it'll maybe make you feel a little bit better about some of the things that you may have done out of curiosity that may not have, again, ended up being anything beneficial like you may have thought they were or were tricked to believe that they might have been in the first place. Yeah, it's that sort of karmic law, that's this perversion on karmic law that um, the the ruling elite seems to follow, where is if they put it in plain sight, we are the idiots, we are guilty for letting them do it. You know, we've given them our consent. Um, and that frees them from, in their perspective, this karmic uh, obligation that most people would say, like, no, you're doing bad things to people, to good people, like that. You know, in their perspective, it's like, well, those good people are actually bad because we said we were going to do it and they wanted it. They, they allowed it to happen. They asked for more. Um, and that's an oversimplification of it. But, you know, we, we see it time and time again, like, you know, with the film stuff you brought up and um, music, you know, it just, it, it's pervasive. And um, if you are able to put on your they live glasses and kind of see through the ads, um, <laughs> you know, obey, consume. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to put your guard up and, and say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Um, th- that's all well and good, but I, uh, I don't consent to that. And, and I guess that's a pretty good way of uh, sort of kind of tying this all together and, and why this matters and, and kind of how to implement these, uh, ideas into your life. Because yes, the, the Grateful Dead just announced, um, or Dead & Co. just announced another big tour, their final, final tour after the final tour that they just finished. Uh, <laughs> like every band does. They have 20 different exactly. farewell tours. <laughs> but they just um, announced a residency at the Sphere in Las Vegas, um, which if uh, people aren't familiar, go look it up. It's, um, you know, U2 is the first band to have a residency there. It's a brand new venue. It's this massive dome structure in um, the Las Vegas area that just an entire 360 degree immersive um, LED visual wall. And if you know, look up some of the footage from the U2 shows, it, it's mind bending what you know, how transportational or <laughs> whatever the word I'm looking for is like how, how much it transports the audience into um, an entirely new realm. Um, you know, it's like a giant virtual reality helmet for like an entire crowd of people. And I mean, even on the other side, just to make a funny reference to it, like they usually have like the smiley faces, like the SpongeBob faces. So it's like, even on the outside, it's like you keep seeing these videos all over the internet of it, like freaking people out because it's like looking through their hotel room window and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and to me, there's a lot of, you know, there are positive elements to that. I think if people are going to enjoy virtual reality, it probably is, you know, to me, one of the biggest dangers of just putting on this, you know, Oculus Rift. It's like, again, more isolationism. You can just live in your, you know, coffin apartment and eat the bugs and um, just be a pod person with your virtual reality goggles and be anywhere you want. To me, it seems much better to enjoy it with um, an arena of people, uh, you know, all enjoying music and singing along and having this great community bonding experience. And so, I, I, again, I don't, I don't think it's inherently bad, and, and I have no idea if they have anything nefarious planned with it. All I know is that, as we mentioned with Stanley Owsley, um, you know, the Grateful Dead were always at the forefront of using technology to, and playing with it, and, and through playing with it, playing with people. And so 
if you start feeling funny at that show, you know, like they, they go into drums to space and start putting, uh, you know, like weird frequencies out and, and you start feeling weird, like you can take a step back and know that it's not, pro it's probably not you, you know, that there might be influences out of your control at play. And um, that doesn't mean you have to leave. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, be in a bad mood or anything, but just being aware that, you know, the, these things are out there. And um, again, I, I want to make it clear that people should go to shows, go see live music, go see jam music, go see Dead & Co. Like they're a great band. <laughs> All of these things can be really good. It's just a matter of, um, you know, not getting lost in the sauce, if you will. And uh, yeah. Dude, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. I just want to throw that out there. I mean, it's not like I'm talking bad about the Grateful Dead this entire show. Like, I absolutely love their music. And just off of that, imagine seeing them at the Sphere and the visuals they put on. Like, I can't think of a band that would be more worth the money seeing that would end up playing there than probably the Grateful Dead, just because they would take full advantage of the ability to basically do that full surround visual of everything and i can't even imagine just like how trippy weird of stuff that they would do because like you two you know they got this stuff where they're like you know flying through space they got that like i don't want to say generic type stuff but just kind of like the stuff that you'd expect to see where it's like the grateful dead i imagine that they'd have something where it's like you know like the roses just taking up the entire ceiling and all of a sudden everything just starts warping and it turns into different faces and all the a bunch of other crazy stuff like the visuals there would just be absolutely breathtaking more so than like any other band that I can imagine that would play there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, you know, I, I'd love to go check one out. So again, yeah, just to make it clear, you know, I, I, am a huge fan of the dead. I, their catalog of music is, is incredible. If you haven't given them a chance before, check them out, you know, it's, um, you know, give them a chance. Like there's, it's some incredible songwriting and the roots to it all is, is, is really good and pure from what I can tell the, you know, especially like just sort of like the American Beauty album the you know, that that was, I, I have a lot of really, really good things to say about the music and the culture for the most part. And um, the experiences I've had, it, they, they really have shaped me into a better person. And when I felt like I wasn't, like I wasn't getting a lot of, um, you know, additional return on the shows, that's when I stopped going as much. And, um, and yeah, the, but I still, I still enjoy the music and, and you should too. And, and whatever it is, just, I think there's a lot of darkness out in the world and the only way to combat it is to shine a light on it, you know? And, um, and with whether that for you is with the music you love or just getting out into nature or, you know, being in a, in a great community where people are supporting each other and, and trying to better themselves and, and work on hobbies and creative pursuits. Like all of that is really, really good, inherently good stuff. And, and to me, that is the, the differentiating factor at play here is, is what you're doing when you leave the show, what you're doing, you know, in between the notes and, and all of that stuff. And, and so not to round it off on too hippy dippy of a note, but, but, you know, there it is. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to throw it in there too, that uh, a lot of people that may not have listened to the Grateful Dead, they have influenced music more than people will ever begin to realize. And I feel like if a lot of people would just look up even just bands that are some of their favorite bands, they would be shocked at how many of their songs might actually be covers of Grateful Dead songs. Like, 
Scarlet Begonia's Sublime. Everybody loves and knows that song, and I feel like only half the people that listen to it because they're into that scene don't realize that that was a cover. Like, there's just, they're everywhere, man. Their influences reached everywhere, and especially now with it seems like there's a new growth in the psychedelic movement, I feel like we're going to see a lot more of their influence coming out and a lot of new artists coming out. As, yeah. as the scene continues to progress, as legalization starts to happen more with other types of psychedelic substances. Yeah, couldn't agree more. But uh, I guess good spot to start wrapping it up. And I would absolutely love to have you back on because this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Uh, but I always like to do words of wisdom, leave everything on a high note. Not that this show has necessarily been too much on a low note. But uh, if there's any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners about anything, uh, what might it be? Yeah. Uh, words of wisdom. Uh, I, I think if I were to give words of wisdom, what I've been trying to implement in my life lately is very, very small shifts. Uh, this analogy of an ocean liner where, you know, you can't, you can't turn a big cruise ship, an ocean liner, 90 degrees, 180 degrees quickly. You know, you have to start changing your heading by, you know, just a small degree shift and you're going to wind up in a a radically different place than where you originally started. And, um, it, you know, if you extrapolate that to your life, if you start making small little adjustments in your daily routine, your thought patterns, uh, all those things, you would be shocked at how crazy your life has changed for the better or for the worse if you're not careful. And, you know, if you don't realize what sort of one degree shifts you're making in the other direction. So pay attention to the one degree shifts. I think that's the the words of wisdom some great words of wisdom i mean even it's something that I, I regularly talk about on the show is just paying attention to the little things and appreciating the little things and that kind of goes hand in hand with that that the little things can make big differences when they start building up in the end but uh just a quick side note man for anybody that might want to check out your music check out your work other podcasts you've been on get in contact with you any of that kind of stuff uh where can people get up the on the internet where can they find your music and where can they possibly make contact with you yeah, appreciate it. So um, the best place is probably uh, Instagram. That's how you found me. Empath Eyes Studio. E-M-P-A-T-H-E-Y-E-S Studio. So uh, two words and uh, websites, empathizestudio.com. But uh, the most important thing to me would be uh, following along on Spotify. Give the artist page a follow. Just It's just Empath Eyes. E-M-P-A-T-H-E-Y-E-S. And uh, I can send you a link. Maybe you could pop it into the description or something. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would love, uh, would love for people to check out the music and uh, then follow along on the Instagram and, and drop me a line. You know, stoked to talk about any and all of this and, uh, you know, just love it. Absolutely. And all of the, everything that you send me, I'll make sure I put it down in the show notes so that everybody can find everything quick and easy. And I appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. It's been a great conversation. And I'm looking forward to next time we could dive into some other stuff and possibly get into some Pink Floyd stuff because I would absolutely love to talk about some Pink Floyd stuff with you. That sounds awesome, dude. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Greatly appreciate you guys when you do that. And if you guys leave a five-star review, then I will read it on the show, of course, and give you guys a big shout-out. And uh, anybody that you guys think might enjoy this episode, I don't care if they're a friend, I don't care if they're an enemy, co-workers, cousins, family, all of that. Share the show with them. Keep expanding the show because the only way it's ever going to happen is with your guys' help, which I greatly appreciate. 
And if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, be it that you want to be a guest on the show, you want to share some fan art, uh, you possibly just want to have a conversation in general, uh, you want me to be a guest on your show, you want to sponsor the show, any of that awesome stuff, you guys can get a hold of me through social media. Instagram and Facebook are the ones I am the most active on. Or you guys can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.look.com. Or if you guys are looking for podcast production services, you guys can email me at open underscore minds underscore media at outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill out the submission form. There are multiple submission forms depending on what you're trying to contact me for. So make sure you guys click on the right one. And I do respond to every single message that I get from you guys. So make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders and make sure that nothing got missed in the process. And everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.